in today's show. Got my beautiful, you know, to be bride. And I'm like, I'm like, check out this beautiful property. This is where we're going to live. And I took her to the property and she was, she looked at it. She's like, I don't want to live here. See, what was an A-class area to me was a D-class area to her. She like this. And then to the rest of the world, it's probably a D-class area. But for me, it was an A-class area. I'm like, I got Lucky Charms and Fruity Pebbles. It don't <laughs> matter if there's crime happening outside. Crime is a part of life. So we bought this third one two days before we got married in, in a B-plus area. So by the time I got married, I had three duplexes, five tenants. I was living in the main floor of one of my units for free. And, uh, and that was the start of our marriage. I was so, 23 years old. In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Hey there, I'm the real Jason Duncan. Welcome back to another episode of The Root of All Success. I am really excited about the guest that you're going to be introduced to today. His story starts being born in Romania in 1985 at a time when the country was under communist rule. And at five years old, he uh, and his family had to escape, literally ran across the border into Austria and lived in a refugee camp there and uh, eventually immigrated to Canada with him and his mom and dad and, and eight other siblings. He was the oldest of nine. But because of all that experience, he developed a passion for, for life and a passion for gratitude and, and to be mindful of, of other people and working for something that you need. And he's going to talk about on the show today uh, about his how his parents' sacrifice led to that better life for him and made him want to want more and to be hungry and to make an impact. Uh, he's going to talk about how you should look for inspiration rather than motivation and 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 to be inspired by what you see around you. Uh, he grew up quickly. He managed to help manage the household and he had a meeting, a kind of a chance encounter with uh, someone from his church who played piano. His name, we're going to talk about it on the show. His name is Michael. And he's going to talk about how seeing that guy's spinners on his black Mercedes made him go, you can play music and do business at the same time. So he's going to talk about how he's went from wanting to do music to realizing that he should go into business and real estate, made millions of dollars in real estate, buying his first property at age 21, his next property six months later, another property the day before they got he got married to his wife and uh, has been able to live on the proceeds of those real estate investments for the last nine years. And all the other business that he's doing now today, he just takes all that money and rolls it back into those businesses because his real estate's paying for what he's what he's been able to uh, to do. So he uh, he's from Canada. He developed the largest private mortgage company in southwestern Ontario, and his mission there was to serve young families and get them into homes that where they weren't going to be able to get in any other any other way. He, and he's been able to exit the rat race at the age of thirty. He's also the founder of a company called Cashflow Tribe, 
which is the leading Canadian real estate investment training company. It helps new investor, investors and entrepreneurs accelerate results via online learning. And he does retreats and events all throughout the year. And uh, I really think you should get involved and, and take a look at what he's got going on with Cashflow Tribe. Even, even if you're not Canadian, you can do that either way. He now lives, uh, well, actually, we're going to talk about how he's kind of transient, but he now lives in Scottsdale, Arizona for most of the time, kind of his home base out on the West Coast. But I met Ben at a conference in uh, in Denver. We were both speakers. And honestly, I thought he was supposed to be a speaker the whole time. But he's going to reveal today in the show that he wasn't even scheduled to speak. He just came to the conference and ended up on stage and killed it. And that's how he and I got connected. But I want you to help me welcome Ben Humble to the show today. Well, Ben, welcome to the show, man. I'm really excited about talking to you today. Thank you, brother, man. Glad to be here. Well, you know, we we connected. We were talking pre-show before we hit the record button. We connected uh, because both of us spoke at an event in uh, in Denver last September, September of twenty one. Um, I'm assuming you had never heard of me. I'd never heard of you, and all I see about you is this this cool looking dude with a cool hat on. And then you get on stage and you absolutely just kill it. You know, just dancing, singing, entertaining. But but what also impressed me about you, Ben, is that when we had that moment or two to, or, you know, a few minutes to sit down out in the lobby, just and talk, that was what was impressive about, you. yeah, you've got a good persona, but like when you really sit and connect with people, it was really good. So I'm really glad that we're able to meet and, uh, and do that. So good, good on you for being able to do that. So let's talk entrepreneurship. This whole show is about the, the root of success, how you became successful. And as I said, uh, in the in the intro about where you came from as a as a refugee and come from Romania and you're the oldest of nine kids that's that's a lot of stuff to overcome in your life. But when did you start your entrepreneurial career? Was it was it as a kid or was it as an adult? Like wh when did it all get started for you? I think every immigrant um, is an entrepreneur because we got to figure things out along the way. So I was probably nine years old when I'm hanging out at the house and. I'm trying to figure out how to make a couple of dollars because I want to go to the corner store and buy some candy, nine or 10 years old at the time. So my friend from school taught me how to make some little origami things. So he's like, here's how you make a hat. Here's how you make some pants. Yes, you can make pants out of origami. Here's how you make a boat and all these things. Coincidentally, the boat also turns into the pants. It's weird. So I'm making these little things. And I go to my brothers and sisters and I started selling them for nine or 10 cents a piece. Right. I said, hey, I'll make you this for 10 cents. And I remember specifically making it for 10 cents when my brothers gave me a quarter. I made them the pants. This is nine years old. So I always had this, this concept of creation. And I think that that's what entrepreneurship is, is we want to build something, create something. You want to put your name on something. Uh, and just from a young age, and I didn't plan on being in business necessarily. I was going to be a musician my whole life. Um, went to school for music and did all that. But dude, from a young age, I just, you know, it, you have to build something. And I think every, like I said, every immigrant has that mindset. I definitely did. So at nine or 10, you're figuring out how to create a product to sell for a profit. When did, how did that affect your desire to get into business eventually? Because as you just said, music was really what you wanted to do. And that's pretty evident. If anybody's following him on Instagram, uh, what's your Instagram handle? Tell everybody what that is. Ben Humble CEO. Actually, I think it's Ben Humble. You got a couple accounts. Yeah, Ben Humble. So go go check him out. Yeah. You can watch him doing at his retreats and events. But what you'll see is he's on stage and he's a really good entertainer. So how did entrepreneurship 
like when did that overcome or did it ever overcome your desire to get into music? I know you're doing more music now than that, but entrepreneurship led you into it. So tell us how you went from nine years old, 10 years old, creating origami, selling it for profit to trying to get into music to now doing entrepreneurship. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I don't think we had profit at 10 cents in origami because I, mean, <laughs> I pulled the paper from upstairs. So I took the paper from mom and dad and did the origami. I mean, there's probably some, you know, some, some communism in, in, in that approach there, but uh, <laughs> and my parents, you know, my, my parents had two or three jobs growing up all the time. So we would go out and we would clean and we would paint buildings and we would do different things. Cause you know, dad, dad's got nine kids. He's got to feed these, these little babies. So, you know, from a young age, slowly and slowly, they did more entrepreneurial things. So I always saw them fend for themselves, go and get another little part-time job, another little thing. And we, as kids would go with them, you know? And so that was always part of my life. I went to university. I said, I'm going to go to university for music. And and I'm, I'm doing that whole thing. And one of the guys from my church was a piano player. I'm also a piano player. And this guy was always cool, man. He had like, he had a Mercedes, black Mercedes. You know, we'd go to the church and he looked like he was the richest cat there. Black Mercedes. And, you know, he's a tall guy and he's like 28, 29 years old. And I remember going outside one time and Mercedes got spinners. You know, little spinners when you used to spin the little rims. And they would spin and you would stare at them. And he got these chrome spinners on the Mercedes. And uh, I'm like, I walk up to him. I'm like, dude, I'm probably 18, 17 at the time. Like, dude, what do you do? He's like, I'm in business. I was like, my mom's in business too. She ain't got spinners. Like, <laughs> you're doing something she's not doing. Like, my mom's in business. My mom, my mom sells things. My dad's in business. Uh, but you got spinners, man. What are you doing? So he and he invited me by his, his, his home office and he says, I have an online business and that, and, you know, and, and I ended up spending, spending a few months kind of helping him in the office and doing admin work and whatever else. And, and I kind of got this bug. I was like, you know, if, if this guy could be a musician and play piano on stage and do all this stuff. And, you know, he started like a music label or whatever. Um, and he could do the business side then maybe I could do both as well. So I kind of got into this knack. So as I was in university, I, I kept thinking about this business idea. Like what, what can I do where I don't have to sell my soul, which is take my passion music and go play bars and nightclubs for the next 20 years? Because then a lot of my friends, that's the route that they took. And some of them, like, like they were excited to do that. But 20 years later, it's not cool anymore. It's not cool to sell out and play everybody else's music for 20 years just because you want to be in music. So that's when it really started connecting with me was in university. And then the defining moment was when my teacher said to me, she says, hey, you're like, probably the most talented kid we have here, but you're so lazy. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you should go up here and you're the most talented trumpet player we got, but now you're playing third chair because you didn't practice. You didn't put in the effort that the other kids put in. And she said, you're never going to be a high school music teacher if you keep this up. And I instantly look at her. I was like, what do you mean a high school music teacher? I'm here to play. She's like, no, no. She's like, the program you're in is to become an education like music educator. I was like, I'm in the wrong program. Uh oh. So I, I mean, very shortly later, I just completely dropped out. I dropped at university. And I did the only thing I knew how to do, which was started a cleaning service. And that's where it got going for me in entrepreneurship. So who was the who was the guy at church with the spinners? What was his name? Yeah, his name's Michael. Michael right. with the spinners. So Michael, so Michael is a very important part of your story. Well, we probably need to dive into that a little bit, but so you, you meet Michael, Michael is kind of this inspiration, this catalyst moment about, Hey, 
you can play music and do business and make money. And, and then you drop out of the program because you, you were in the wrong program. But, but do you think that your experience uh, kind of as your kid, as you, as a kid, you know, fleeing Romania back in the eighties and nineties, do you think that had any effect on you individually? I mean, you were so young, but, or, or is it more of just you watching what your mom and dad experienced through that to made you make decisions? What, how do you think that all played out? Well, dude, that's a great question. Like every one of our experiences you know, shapes our character and our thinking, right? We're very impressionable at that age. Absolutely, man. Having to leave everything you know as a young kid and run across the border, literally. We landed in a refugee camp. We stayed there for about six months. They ended up shooting the president of Romania in the head on Christmas Day. That was It was kind of a siege type of thing. And on the same day that my mom came home with my sister from the hospital, from the refugee camp in Austria, my brother and sister who were left behind, we were all reconnected. So we had three kids in the morning in the refugee camp and six kids in the evening. All of this shapes your mind. All of this shapes you to start believing that if you want something in life, you have to go get it. If you want freedom, you have to go pursue it. If you want money, you have to go make it happen. I never grew up with an allowance. I never grew up with dad telling me we're going to provide for you. I never grew up thinking they were going to pay for university. I never grew up with any of this stuff. I, here's what I knew. If you want it, you better get a part-time job. And if you don't want a part-time job, you better get a really good like, first job. And you better chase something you really love. But there was always this hunt. There was never this moment where I thought somebody's going to hand me something. Like there's nine of us. There's no inheritance financially. Not really. So I just, dude, I, I never, I never in my mind just assumed that it was going to be handed to me. And, you know, I always just kind of worked at the things I was passionate about. Like I love music. The reason the teacher told me I was lazy is because they wanted me to play a bunch of Bach and Beethoven. I was like, I don't want to play Tchaikovsky. I want to play jazz. I want to play the stuff I like to play. And that's why I was lazy. I was lazy because I wouldn't conform and I wouldn't conform to somebody else's expectation, especially around my passions. So that, that's just the, that's the energy I've had since I was a little kid. So you're five years old, uh, fleeing the country, running across the border, you know, brothers and sisters in tow, new babies on the way, born in refugee camps. Yeah. I, I, the reason I asked that question is I think that people like, uh, people like me born here in the United States, land of the free, land of opportunity. I don't think we understand how amazing the opportunity is we have here we, that we can choose things that other people don't have to choose that don't have the option to choose. So I, I can, and the reason I ask is I, I, I imagine that those experiences as a, as a young child forever imprinted in your brain. Like if I want something, there's nothing to stop me from getting it. And I don't want to live in a place that's going to the, the communism. You meant you made a joke about communism, but that's what was going on in Romania was communism. I don't want to live in a place where my hard work is going to be doled out to everybody else who's not working hard. I want to make this on my own. And I think that that's what I know about you. You're a hard worker. I, I know you, I like how you've taken the the handle been humble and, and you're like, listen, I'm going to work hard, make great things. I'm going to, I'm going to impact this world. Cause I know that's what your heart is, but the humility that's there with it is, is true. It's not just a persona, but it's true. So tell me about this. Tell me about your cleaning company, because it sounds like that was kind of your first legit company. Was that your first like LLC business license? And, and, and if so, what was it? What were you cleaning? What were you doing? Yeah. So I worked for a guy cleaning carpets and I was his only employee at one point. And, you know, I would drive my, my 2000 Cavalier 
30 minutes across town and go to his place to pick up the cleaning equipment. And I would go and clean carpets and he'd pay me whatever it was, 15, $16 an hour at the time. So I'd make 30 bucks, but I'd be gone like three and a half hours by the time I dropped off his truck, the equipment, all the different things. And I'm the only employee and he's living an okay life. He's got a Lexus and stuff. And one day I approached him. I said, Hey man, I'm, I'm only making like 30 bucks, you know, kind of doing this for you part-time. And is there any way that I could get a more, you know, like, can, can I get a pay raise? Can I do more? Can I be, can I be a more integral part of what you're doing? Because really for 30 bucks for me to spend four hours or five hours, by the time I get home, it's, it's not really working out for me here, man. I barely covers my expenses. And, and he was like, no, that's the job. The job is to come for two hours at a time and, and then go home. I was like, okay, cool. So one day I just, I, you know, I showed up and, 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 and this guy wasn't too happy because, you know, he told my dad, he's like, hey, do you know somebody who could work for me? My dad says, I have my son. My son will work for you. This is like a church thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when the church person goes to your dad and then, and then they, and then they create a courtship. And then all of a sudden you're married to some other person. And, you know, like in our culture, you're actually married. But in this situation, it was, you're working for this man. He needs you and you're going to go help him. Great. And I said, listen, one day I shut up. I said, listen, I'm going to start my own thing. I see you're cleaning carpets. I want to clean carpets, but I can't do it for $30. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave and do my own thing. Do you want to work together? And he was, he was furious. He kicked me out of his house and he's like, get out of here. Don't ever come back. And uh, so I left and I felt pretty bad. And my dad called me. He said, did you leave that guy from the church? And I said, dad, I said, I, I can't live under somebody else's rules. I said, I can't even afford to do this job for $30. I have to do my own thing. And, and my dad basically said, then do it, son. Do it. That's it. And my dad didn't, he didn't criticize me. He didn't stop me. He didn't tell me I did the wrong thing. It, I think my dad realized when he leaves the country and he flees everybody he knows at 27 years old, he knows that if his son is ever 18, 19, 20 years old and, my, and his son feels depressed, he's never going to get in my way. He's just going to go, go, son, go. So that was the first kind of start. And I just, dude, I put on a suit. And I went around uh, all these little businesses going, I have a carpet cleaning machine. I got a loan from the bank for $3,000. I bought a machine and it's me, a carpet machine and a van. And I'm like, I put on a suit like I was going to church. And I was like, hey, can I come clean your place? Can I come clean your place? And I just, dude, I just door knocked. I door knocked and called and door knocked and called until eventually I got enough business. In fact, my very first customer was my mom. I said, mom, I started the cleaning business. She's like, great. I said, can I clean the basement where I was living, can I clean the basement and would you pay me? Those carpets are dirty. I know I live there. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, can I clean my own room and you pay me? And she did. She gave me a hundred bucks to clean my own room. So that was my first ever. <laughs> I never got an allowance, never got paid to, you know, take out the, the, do the chores of the house. But the first time my mom paid me, she, she was my very first customer, a hundred bucks. That's never great. forgot that. Get paid to clean your own room. Get paid to clean your own room. Yeah, from the moment she, she paid me to clean my own room, I, I decided in my mind I was going to help mom retire. I was going to help mom never have to work a part-time job again. And I put that in my brain. And I'm fortunate to say that a couple of years ago, we were able to make that happen for her. And, uh, you know, so that I, I created an agreement with myself in that moment. So that was my journey, man. Carpet cleaning. Evenings, weekends, all of it. It's carpet cleaning, cleaning floors. And... Um, it taught me, it taught me how to slug it out. It taught me how to work. It taught me how to stay up at night and work when everybody else was having fun or sleeping. And, you know, I developed a work ethic. It took me a couple of years to develop a work ethic. So now when it's work time, I just go get out of my way. I'm going to work. Whatever that is, that's what I developed. And that, 
that skill really helped me in my business. How, how old were you when you did this? When you started? 21. It? 21. So 21, 21 years, years old. old. Yeah. You're like, I'm, I'm going to do this on my own. Mom's first customer. You start building it up. How long did you operate that business before you either sold it or closed it down? What? How long did you? Yeah. Do? So, so actually, I kind of got going there at 19, but at 21, we kind of started ramping up a bit. I ran that business for six years. And at uh, I, I started at 19. And at 21, I, I bought my first piece of real estate. So two years into that business, I'm going to business networking meetings. I'm I'm meeting everybody in the space. I'm becoming the carpet cleaner guy. I have a license. I have a certificate in cleaning, literally. I went to I went to like night school to learn how to mix chemicals. So I just became this carpet cleaning guy. A couple years into it, I read a passage in a book that says, if you want to become a millionaire, all you got to do is buy a million dollars worth of real estate and then let these people called tenants pay it down for you. And in 25 years, you're a millionaire. I thought that doesn't seem that hard. I could do that. That seems like a pretty good game. I don't have a million dollars to buy real estate, but I just kept pushing, reading books, going to courses, seminars, what have you. And at, at 21, I was able to do a deal with Creative Finance and buy my very first duplex. I moved into this thing. Um, by the time I moved into the upper unit, I had a tenant downstairs. I was living for 156 bucks a month, plus utilities. And that's how I moved out of mom's basement, moved all my cleaning stuff, living in a duplex, 21 years old, independent. I bought every brand of cereal you could think about. We didn't have a lot of cereal options as a kid. I bought three jugs of milk. I called my brother. I was like, bro, we're having cereal at the crib. Roll, roll through, dude. Roll through. It's, it's about to go down. So he did. He rolled through. And we had cereal for days. What's um, your favorite cereal? So yeah, I mean, back then I used to eat every cereal. Today I eat the healthy crap that nobody likes because you know, I'm trying to put on weight again. But but back then we used to mix it all, dude. Count chocula with the with the with the fruity pebbles, with the we put it all together in the same bowl. It didn't matter, Reese's pieces, all that stuff. That's awesome, man. I love that story because I'm a I'm a cereal eater too. But we had cereal growing up, and I would eat two bowls of cereal every single morning of my life as a kid growing up, and I loved it. And then you'd read the back of the box, you know, the Captain Crunch, the Raisin Bran, the I love Count Chocula and Booberry and Frankenberry and all that you know, stuff. I love that stuff. It's so great today. I, I can barely eat one bowl of cereal, the sugar, and it's just overloads. And it's like, oh my gosh. But all right. So you're living. So you at 21, you buy your first piece of real estate. Um, I've been telling, I have a 22 year old son and a 19 year old daughter. And I've been telling them for years, guys, figure out like, as soon as you move out of this house, you need to, I'll help you. I will buy a duplex with you and you will live in half and you will manage it. And you, uh, they, they're just not listening. They don't listen to dad. They'll listen to other people. They don't listen to dad. So you did it. What happened next? You, I assume you still don't own that duplex, do you? No, no, I sold that duplex. But as soon as I bought that one, I moved in. Again, another defining moment. My whole life is a string of defining moments all the way through. As soon as I closed that deal, my confidence went way up. Because now I own a piece of property worth $126,000. I did a creative finance deal without knowing what creative finance was. And I have an education business today and people are struggling every single day trying to figure this out. They have all the resources in the world from YouTube to books to whatever. You know what I had? I had, I had local business meetup groups where I would go there and go to anybody in real estate. And some dude is like, I'm in real estate. I'm like, dude, how do I buy real estate? He's like, you need money. I'm like, I don't have that. How else can I buy real estate? And he's like, you got to go meet some brokers or somebody, some private lenders or something. I'm like, what does that look like? So I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. I had the thing that most kids don't have, which is I was an immigrant who knew that if I wanted it, I had to go get it. Mom and dad didn't tell me to buy real estate. I just bought real estate. I left, I left 
Mom and dad had nine kids. So the, the real answer for me is when you know you need to do something, like I was just so tired of living in the basement. Not that it was bad, but I just wanted my own independence. So if your kids each have their own room, that's the problem. I shared a room with my brother for years, right? I got one, one side of the room. He's got another side of the room. We freaking had tape in the middle of like, don't cross into my area, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? But I'm sleeping on one side. He sleeps on the other side. And, and I'm like, I'm, I just, I grew up like this because we had to share a room. So the short answer is I got my first piece of real estate. As soon as I got that deal, within six months, I bought my second piece of real estate. I was hunting, dude. I was in every, looking at newspapers, trying to figure out, is there another way I can buy another piece of property with creative finance? See, I went to the bank on the first transaction and they said, you don't qualify. And those words struck a chord in me. You don't qualify. And I said, who the, do you think you are? Tell me I don't qualify. What do you think this is? And in my brain, I developed this, this rebellion against you don't qualify. I said, I'm going to show you. I bought the first one. Six months later, I found another seller who wanted to sell the property. They're pretty adamant about getting it off their books. And they're like, I need some work. I need some cleaning. I'm like, cleaning? I can do that. I can clean. I have no problem working my way into this. I have no problem working nights and weekends. I already developed a willingness to go and work evenings, clean carpets for $100. I already developed this. So I bought the second one eight months later, got my beautiful, you know, to be bride. And I'm like, I'm like, check out this beautiful property. This is where we're going to live. And I took her to the property and she was, she looked at it. She's like, I don't want to live here. See, what was an A-class area to me was a D-class area to her. She like this. And then to the rest of the world, it's probably a D-class area. But for me, it was an A-class area. I'm like, I got Lucky Charms and Fruity Pebbles. It don't <laughs> matter if there's crime happening outside. Crime is a part of life. So we bought this third one two days before we got married in, in a B-plus area. So by the time I got married, I had three duplexes, five tenants. I was living in the main floor of one of my units for free. And, uh, and that was the start of our marriage. I was 23 so, years old. Hey, we're going to take a quick break from today's episode to bring you our sponsor, Dub. That's D-U-B-B. I've been a fan of Dub and those guys over there since they started this app. And they now have 65,000 companies, not just users, companies using this app worldwide. What is Dub? Dub is a video creation, distribution, and tracking tool for your email. It is an amazing way to send emails that actually get open, read, and acted upon. So typing, you know, that's old. We're going to start recording videos. This is a video world. Dub is the place for you to record all those videos and share them through your email to get more conversions, more action, more people clicking and watching things. They have a Chrome extension, a desktop app, a mobile app. It integrates directly with LinkedIn. Imagine trying to get access to somebody on LinkedIn. You send a message and they don't respond. But if you send a video right in the program, they don't have to leave LinkedIn to see it. Dub integrates directly. You can create, share, track videos with Dub. And you can even put it into your favorite project management tool, Asana. Remember, shooting a video is a lot easier than typing. Imagine being able to do that right through your project management tool. Dub even transcribes your videos. And I know we were working on a project recently. We need a transcription done. And I thought, oh yeah, that's right. Dub does it. So you just drop the video in Dub, transcribes it for you. It also integrates directly with YouTube. So you can share an action item in a YouTube video. So like a link where people can click in a YouTube video. So you take your YouTube video, drop it into Dub, and then Dub does the rest and you don't lose your views on YouTube. That's the best part about that. YouTube still collects all those views, even if it went through Dub. 
Listen, you need to go use Dub. You can get two weeks for free and 50% off your first two months by using this link, therealjasonduncan.com slash dub. That's therealjasonduncan.com slash dub. Make sure you go and check that out. And by the way, they also have a Dub-powered video landing page. So you can optimize your social profile on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or YouTube. Check it out. Go to therealjasonduncan.com slash dub. You won't be disappointed. I promise. Now let's go ahead and get back to the show. So today, you know, so today at 37 years old, uh, how much real estate do you own today? I mean, I dude, I, I sold most of it before the crash. I've only got a little bit left. Uh, wow. I, I rode the cycle hard, sold, we bought hundreds, hundreds of properties, done syndications, done joint venture partnerships. And uh, I used to own a lot, sold a lot, wholesaled a lot. And I was able to, um, I was able to set up a pretty nice little nest egg for us. So really since, since 2013, our real estate sales have been, have been fueling our life, you know, our lifestyle, our travels and all those kind of things. So, so think about this folks. So, so Ben and his wife, since 2013, nine years, the sale of the real estate has been fueling and funding their lives. And of course, obviously you're doing other things. You're, you're a great public speaker. You're an entertainer, you're a coach, you run mastermind retreats, et cetera. But real estate is the key. Like you, you escaped a a piece of land in Europe that was under siege and communist rule to come to this land over here, and you're in Canada, but come to North America and and make it based on another buying pieces of land. I'm gonna buy a piece of land. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this into an empire, and you've done that. So now you've turned that into uh, what? Before I talk about your your retreats and the things you're doing now, but. What I liked about your story too was that you you spent I don't know how many months just Air, living in Airbnbs, just traveling you and your wife, and just going and doing things. How, how long did you do that, and why did you do that? We made a commitment when I got married. I told my wife because she was she's an American citizen, also Romanian from Romania, but lives in America. Lived and we lived in Canada. So when we got married, she moved over the border. We were in a border city, Windsor, Ontario, Canada. And I said, "We'll live here for now, but at some point, we're going to travel." And I made a commitment on the beginning of our marriage that we were going to travel. And I got to 30 years old. I got a million bucks in the bank. And we always had a goal to become millionaires. I did by 30. It was my big driving thing. Million dollars of equity, million bucks in the bank. Look at my wife. I'm like, what are we going to do? And we were so tired. We're like, let's just go to bed. We didn't do anything. And one of my mentors, um, I'm talking to him a few months later. I go, dude, you know, I, I feel weird because I finally hit the financial target. And, and, and I didn't buy the things I said I was going to do. And I didn't check the boxes and I didn't do the stuff. And he said, if you can't check this box, you will never check the bigger boxes in your life. So all of the goals and the promises you made yourself, you've got to go check those boxes. So a weekend later, I went to, I went to Toronto. I bought a Lamborghini. I bought my wife a Porsche Macan Turbo. We started spending money on things. We started checking the boxes, not because I needed it, but because I said I would. And that conviction reminded me about my conviction to go ahead and travel and spend time with my wife, getting to know each other. Like most of the friends we had growing up, they were traveling and doing life and having fun and living in big old houses. And like, we lived very conservatively in that duplex for a few years before we kind of graduated to different homes. So COVID hit, I got a COVID body. I got freaking ripped, meaning I'm working out twice a day. I got a trainer. There's nowhere to go in Canada. You got to just live in your basement kind of thing. So uh, I made a decision during COVID. I said, my wife ended up leaving her corporate finance job, but she ended up retiring early. And, and I said, let's go travel. Let's do this thing. 
I'm like, let's just go live the life on the road. Let's go have fun. And we did that. All of our businesses moved virtual. We got on the road and for about a year, a year and a half, we kind of lived in hotels. It didn't matter. I said, we want to pack one car with the dog, with my wife, two suitcases, whatever else fits in the, we have a, the Porsche SUV, whatever fits in that thing, that's our life right now. Everything else goes in storage or goes for sale. So I sold all of my creature comforts. I sold the seven cars in the driveway, sold the big house, the thousands of empty square feet I never used, sold all those things and just hit the road. And it was an incredible time in our lives to just be mobile. And I, and I learned the value of other things. So for me, the, the, the whole, the whole storyline is I got rich financially so that I could become wealthy emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and financially, right? But you got to get to a certain point, point where you get to make decisions out of abundance. And I need to get to a position where I had millions of dollars available to me. I could create abundance in my life and I didn't have to worry about paying the bills or what it's going to cost to live at the hotel. Hey, how much is this hotel? Thousand bucks a night. Great. Let's go. Boom. How much is this food? Oh, this food is 300 bucks a plate. Let's go. I wanted to get to a point where we just live in that dream life. So I did that and it just solidified a few things in me, checked some boxes along the way. So I, we did that for about a year and a half, man. And we still actually kind of do that a lot now. We're still traveling two to three uh, weeks of the month, actually having a good time. Now you're, you're actually, uh, your residence now is in Scottsdale, Arizona. So you, you kind of like that area, right? I live everywhere, man. We've got, we've actually got some properties. Now we, we launched a, a luxury property um, business here in the West coast. So we've got some properties here in Vegas and, and AZ. So I'm kind of all over the place. I've got kind of like Carmen San Diego from back in the day, like where in the world is Carmen San Diego? That's me. <laughs> you don't actually know where I'm at because I move around so much. So I've also so- got properties still in Canada, but uh, we're kind of all over. So, so let's talk about the music biz because that, so, so we were talking pre-show about this and I've seen you, I've seen you perform, I've seen your Instagram too. So you, you originally started out as a kid thinking, I want to be, I want to go in the music business. And then, and then Michael, the guy you met at your church with the spinners, he's like presents a whole new, gives you a whole new awareness of possibilities of what business can do to make money where your friends who went straight into music and just played the bar scene and did the, did the gigging, 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 struggling. What you did is you did, you made the money and now you're actually getting back into the music, which is what you wanted to do, but you're not, you're not having to be the struggling musician because you got the money. It doesn't matter. Now you can do it at a high level. So what are you doing right now with music and how does it feel to finally get back to the thing you wanted to do originally? The feeling is amazing. You know, for years I had this guilt that I abandoned music to do business. And I was like, you know, I wanted to put out albums and do things and tour and, and play my own music. I didn't want to play bar music. I didn't want to play somebody else's cover band stuff. And I put it on the back burner, had the guilt. As soon as we started traveling, I that I need to go find people that can help me create, create the music that I wanted to create. And it took me on a journey. It led, it led me to the power of proximity. If you want to do something and create something amazing in the world, the fastest way that I know is to find somebody else who's doing it and has the resources and latch on. And the way to do that is you physically move. You, you get in their airspace. So where you and I met, we had a mutual friend, Greg. And this is a guy I just met. He's a music producer and He's got his own event business, his conference business. And he says, I'm throwing a conference. And I said, I like you. I like that you do this music thing. I desire to do this music thing. And, you know, I want to do it. So I go to the conference and I wasn't the planned speaker. I wasn't the planned performer, but I'm there a couple of days early. And, you know, he had an opening in the schedule. He said, hey, do you want to do you want to sing at the, at the conference? 
I said, dude, I live ready. I just live ready. I said, if, if there's ever a question, the answer is yes. I start with yes. Yes, I do. What are you going to think? I'm like, I don't know. Something. It's like, do you want to speak? Yes. So what you saw was me deciding the night before to speak and sing. And I, I had together. no idea. I did not know that. I didn't know that part. I mean, it looked like to me you had planned that for months. I live ready. I always live ready. If, if you want to, if you tell the world you want to be a musician, a performer, and somebody goes, can you do this tomorrow? You better say yes. That's, that's the conviction you need to have. And that's how I live my life. I live ready. I, I, music's in my brain. I'm singing. I'm playing every day. And it led me down a path where I'm, I'm this fall, I'm going to drop one album. This winter, I'm going to drop a second album, which I'm super excited about. I've had songs in my brain for, for a decade plus that are finally coming out. And I'm really excited. It led to doing way more events. It led to way more stage speaking. And I'm finally doing this thing that I'm so passionate about. I dedicate two or three days minimum per week to music production, recording, and writing. And that's just, that's my rhythm. That's my cadence. I've decided to make music part of my life. Music is a KPI, meaning it's a key performance indicator. I give it two to three days every single week. I immerse myself in music wherever I can. I work with people that have the resources to put music together. And it's, it's been a really incredible last year. And when this album drops, it's going to be hot. It's going to be amazing. Because I know, I know what songs have been in my mind for a long time. They're really going to impact and help some people. You know, my music is bigger than me. Just like all the other companies I run today, it's more about impact than it is about ego. And, you know, that's why I know it's going to radically help some people. So let's talk about cash flow tribe because now your 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 heart is to impact. So you're doing you're exercising the music passion that you have, but you're not just abandoning the ability to go make impact. I mean, when you built um, the the largest private mortgage company in southwestern Ontario, it was about of course it was about numbers, but you were about pouring into families who needed help and getting access to funding and housing that they couldn't have get gotten anywhere else. So your whole life has been about impact. So now you're you're following your passion in music, but you haven't forgotten about hey I want to go help other people. So you started this cash flow tribe. Tell tell us a little bit about that. So I made enough money in real estate and. and at that point when I'm looking at that million dollar check and then I made another million bucks within like a year and a half, it was pretty quick acceleration from after the first mill, by the way, they come a lot quicker because you've yep. developed some, some skills and some thinking and an approach. And, and I realized it was kind of lonely. Like the journey that I went on to get there was, was me grinding it out and, and, and that. And I had this conviction from the Lord just going like, Hey, you're living for yourself. It's not going to be fulfilling. You need to go and help other people. My dad's a minister. You know, part of the reason we left Romania is because, you know, he, he was a Christian in a time where Christians weren't allowed to be Christian. So he's been in a minister his whole life. He's, he's had a church and things. And I wanted to become, I wanted to amplify my voice. I had music conditioning my whole life. I had stage conditioning my whole life. I said, I need to go use my voice and use the things, my journey to go and help people. I just, it was immediate. It was instant. God just went, you need to do this. And I said, what do I know how to do? I know how to make money. I, I know how to get on stage. I know how to speak and play music. I know a lot about real estate. I've done a lot of creative finance deals. I've made millions of dollars. I've raised millions of dollars. So I decided to, like, to launch this community. I found a guy who, who had a, a YouTube following already, and he, had this, and he was talking about real estate. And I said, dude, why don't we connect? I have a desire to go and build something. I want to go and impact a lot of people. 
and I want to make money. That's fine. I want to do both. But impact is going to be way more rewarding to me personally than just another couple million or a few million bucks in the bank. A few million dollars won't change who I am. I'm going to be the same person. So we launched this thing. And for me, it was, it was that keyword. I want, to, I want to radically defend and help people that don't have financial freedom. I wanted to do for these folks what my dad did for me. Give me an opportunity to live a bigger and better life. Give me an opportunity to make better decisions in my life. So I just went on this evangelical uh, mission and that built Cashflow Tribe. So Cashflow Tribe today, it's a community of, of, of investors and aspiring investors where we empower them with tools and training and education and events that they can take hold of their financial situation and they can use real estate as a vehicle for growth. We have people quitting their jobs in months. We have people who are doing their first few deals. We have people making thousands of dollars per month or even tens of thousands of dollars per month. And they're doing it through the power of real estate. They're becoming landlords and wholesalers and flippers and lenders and all the different things that real estate provides people. So this has been my mission. And everything we make in CFT gets poured back into CFT. You know, I'm very blessed that my real estate has covered all of my expenses. I've been able to launch a few startups with my own funds from real estate. So I was able to launch the education company and sustain it from my, from my real estate holdings and, and, and all that, which, which has been a really, really, really cool season for me. So it's definitely a long play. It's definitely something that it brings me a lot of joy. I've met a lot of incredible people. We have thousands of people in the community that are growing, that are doing deals, that are thriving. And I'm proud to say, like, it, to me, this is by far the best, the best Canadian real estate community out there, by far. And I know because of the intention that we put into this community to help people win and succeed. So this is what my life is about, dude. It's about community. It's about impact. And it's about transparency. And it's about results. Those are the four core values of CFT. So hit those again for everybody. Hit those four core values. Community, number one, community. We grow together or we don't, right? Community. Everything we do is community-centric. Results. It's not worth doing if you don't have a tangible outcome. Very simple. Otherwise, it's chaos. The results, meaning progress, is what keeps you fueled up and ready to go. No progress, you're not going to keep doing it. Transparency. Transparency is this keyword right here, humble. We're, we're, we live in a world of pretenders. Everybody's pretending. Instead of pretending, why don't we just lower the ego, ask better questions, ask for help, learn, apply ourselves, fail, apply ourselves, learn. This is the nature of life. So transparency. And then the last one is um, impact. We're here for global impact. We want to help these Canadians become a nation of self-sustained investors so they can win for themselves, then they can win for their family, then they can win for their community. Somebody's got to empower people. And it's why most of our stuff is, is we teach you how to do it. We give you the resources and training and we won't do it for you. We're not here to just sell you a course or a book or whatever. We're also not here to just sell you a bunch of investment opportunities. We're, we're teaching you how to become self-sufficient. We're teaching you how to quit your job, how to take control of your money, how to take control of your life. And to me, success is all inclusive, mind, body, spirit, wallet. So we got to work in every department of your life so we can advance your infrastructure internally, your resources, so that you can go and do bigger and better things. That, that to me is the principle of stewardship. So I believe that all these relationships, I need to be a responsible steward over. I need to help them in the best way possible and impact first, income second. That's how I live my life today. Impact over income. And me living my life that way, the income comes in just fine, but the impact is there. And that's what I care about. How do you, um, 
I mean, I, I would look at you as a very successful person. I think a lot of people listening to the show would would agree. But how do you define that term success? What does that mean to Ben Humble? To me, it's an external thing, meaning when I leave this earth, did I leave behind enough, did I plant enough seeds, did I leave behind enough evidence, enough opportunity for other people to win in life? Did you help enough people? Did you evangelize the things that you had in your heart, the things that you knew how to do? Did you have enough reach to help people win in life? Because if you did, then they can do the same and they can do the same. To me, success isn't internal. I don't. It's a weird feeling for me when people go, you're successful, you're, you're rich, you're this. I used to struggle with that. Yes, success. It's happy. It's some genuine, you know. But, but I don't look at success as though it's a place you've achieved. I don't think it's a place where you stand on a pedestal and go, I'm successful. Success is what we do every single day. I keep planting seeds, so many seeds, in fact, that you can't ever deny that I was here. That to me is the definition of success. With that as a definition, which I think is a cool definition, with that as a definition, do you consider yourself to be successful? I think every single day I'm successful if I keep planting seeds. For me, the seeds I planted yesterday are yesterday's success. I think we have an obligation that every single day we must find and create success. So every day, like on this show, we're planting some seeds of faith, of confidence, planting seeds to help people financially. So yesterday I was successful. Today I have to start all over again. Jason, if I live my life that way, then you can define me as successful by the time I leave this earth. But what I did yesterday doesn't inhibit or doesn't change what I can do today. Today I must find success. Today I must create it. That's why I'm relentless about this impactful. Why do you think, um, what do you think the keys were for you to be the successful person you are today. And I know you define it on a day-to-day basis, but 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 if we look back into your life and you look back and you do have some introspection and we're looking for the root of your success, which is the title of this show, what do you think are the two or three keys that you look back and go, that's what allowed me or prepared me for success? For me, it's my adversity. My adversity helped shape my character. It helped shape my thinking and it helped shape my decisions. So I love people of adversity. I love people who have a struggle. Give them to me broke. Give them to me hungry. Give them to me hurting. Give me the broke blue collar person. And I'll turn that person into a millionaire every single time. Because they have enough grit, determination to not be broke. To me, you have to have a big enough indicator, a big enough pain. Pain isn't a bad thing. Adversity isn't a bad thing. It can propel you to great things. We need adversity in our lives. If we don't have it, then the reason isn't big enough that we ever need to push. So for me, we, I got to go so deep where I think this, God was, so, God was so amazing to me that he gave me an incredible father with an incredible mind and heart where he helped his son find physical freedom so that he could pursue every other freedom. And if I don't do everything possible with that gift, then why not just send another Romanian over? Why not send another cousin over in my place? Why not send another man in my stead? So I believe if you've been given that kind of opportunity, so when you're, you say, hey, we're born in the country of America, dude, that's amazing. But my greatest thing is I started in the red and had to go to black. If you start and you start in America, you're starting positive, you're starting in the black. It may be harder for you to find a big enough determination inside of you to, 
to actually want to go and find success. I love adversity. It's your weapon. You either use it as a weapon for good and you convert the adversity into a story. And your story is the greatest thing you have that connects you with another human being. And if you can take your adversity and turn it into a story, that is a powerful weapon of change. Or you take your adversity and, and you turn it into victimhood. And then that doesn't help anybody. So I'm, I go back to the Bible, like be hot or cold, but do not be lukewarm. I just happen to be hot. I happen to be hot on adversity, hot on success, hot on growth, hot on impact. I'm hot all the way. I do not live a lukewarm life. You will notice this about me. I'm aggressive and I'm compassionate. I am humble and, and, and I work hard as hell, right? I, I, I know that I need to keep moving forward. I just stay hot. My adversity gave me that opportunity to shape my character, to shape my destiny. I love it. And, and we can see that that spark and that fire in you when you talk about this and we can hear it in your voice. So I, I, I appreciate that very much. I love the adversity thing because it reminds me of the, of, you know, the word passion. I talk about one of the keys to success is passion, which passion is not just about emotionally enjoying something. It's about the willingness to endure, the willingness to suffer. And, and that relates to this adversity thing. I mean, we call it the passion of the Christ, not because he was excited about going to the cross, but because he was willing to endure that adversity for a greater cause. And I think what you just said and one of your keys to success validates my theory that passion is the number one key to success is our ability to endure and suffer through those things that that present hardship and adversity in our life. So uh, Ben, I, I, I'm, I'm so grateful to know you. I'm grateful that we've connected. I'm so glad that you were at that event in, in Denver back in September. Um, Cashflowtribe.com is where people can find information about the Cashflow Tribe, about learning how to go from that blue collar to, to millionaire through real estate and through creative investing, cashflowtribe.com. And then also you've got a website, humble.ceo, where people can follow you there, humble.ceo. Is there any other things you want to kind of tell people about that before we close out our conversation today? Yeah, we listen to these episodes often, whether it's a podcast or something, and we look for a moment of motivation. What I would advise the audience, what I would what I would hope to leave them with is just this one thing. Instead of looking for motivation driven by your motives that day, start looking for inspiration, something that fuels your spirit to create change. And I would just pray that this audience who hears this message and hears my voice can dig deeper inside and go, in my spirit, I know that I was designed for more. In my spirit, God planted gifts. In my spirit, I just know that I have to go and do more in this world. And, and, and if you can find that, 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 spiritual, that spiritual mechanism inside of you, you can just flip that switch on, you won't need motivation going forward. You're going to live in perpetual motivation because you won't need daily motives to force you to get up and go do this. You know that it's a part of who you are and there's a tactical way of doing that. And there's daily repetition in doing that. But I would just encourage your audience, like plug in, Plug in the Jason Duncan, plug into this man who cares about you, who spends his time and energy, share the episode out and, and really dig deep in this in spirit thinking. And if you do that, you may find the mechanism that you can flip on. And once it's on, baby, it's hard to take off, but don't live lukewarm. Don't come to this show looking for a short-term motivational gap filler. Don't live lukewarm. Find, find the thing that triggers you to start living hot, hot for your future, hot for your destiny hot for your faith, live on fire, folks. If you can live on fire, whoo, life gets good. It gets good in every area. 
I don't think I could add anything to that to make it any better. Ben, it's so great to talk to you and have you on the show today. It's an honor to have you here and I wish you the best, man. And let's stay connected. Well, there you have it. Another very successful entrepreneur and his story to success. And Ben's story is, uh, is really interesting to me for lots of reasons. Of course, being the immigrant from Romania, escaping communist country, coming over here to, to North America and Canada, and then eventually United States. Um, it illustrates that we do in this country and in this part of the world have the most opportunity for freedom and, and, and to, to build something pretty amazing. And he was able to do that with him and his wife and, and to build such a huge net worth on just real estate. I'm, I'm thinking, I wished, I wished at 21, I'd have thought about that, but nobody, I had nobody in my life that was teaching me about those things at age 21. So maybe today, if you're 21 years old, you're listening to this show, The Root of All Success with me, the real Jason Duncan, and you just heard Ben Humble talking about how he developed this huge real estate empire, starting with a duplex that he was house hacking, living in the upstairs, renting out the basement, or not the basement, but the, the, the lower floor to build a multi-million dollar empire. Starting at 21, just start now. Quit waiting. What are you waiting for? And for those of you that are entrepreneurs that are that are saying, hey, I'm already started, but man, I really need to get into this real estate. I just don't have time. Well, what? why don't you just exit your business and start getting into real estate? Quit making excuses. I want you to go to amireadytoexit.com. That's amireadytoexit.com and take a look, take a look at this. And I, I think that what you need to do is you need to look at are you ready to exit? It's a tool that I developed that you can take for free online, it's completely free, and ask you a question about your preparedness, your readiness to exit the daily operations. You don't have to sell it. Maybe you can walk away from daily operations like I did and still maintain ownership. Maybe you want to sell it. But that quiz, that little assessment will give you the opportunity to know whether how soon you can exit. Maybe it's today, maybe it's next month, maybe it's next year, but it'll get you prepared so that you can move on into the real estate world or whatever other new adventure you want. Maybe you want to play golf all the time. Maybe you want to go hunting. Maybe you want to travel, sail across the world, whatever it is. Getting out of the daily operations of your business is the key to getting there. So go to amireadytoexit.com and check that out today. And make sure you also visit our sponsor, Dub. We're very happy. You heard you heard the ad earlier in the show, but Dub is a great tool. So go check them out, therealjasonduncan.com slash Dub. That's D-U-B-B. Tune in again next week when we will talk with yet another very successful entrepreneur about his or her journey to success. Until then, I'm The Real Jason Duncan, and Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.